Um, it's, uh, it's good to see you, and um, particularly if this is your first time back at St. Mike's at six, um, since we broke for the summer. Um, obviously, we're back now, and it's, it's, uh, it's great to be with you tonight. The, uh, the thing that I want to speak about, I'm just going to start my little stopwatch, because otherwise you could have me speaking for about, it could be St. Mike's at six that finishes at ten. Um, uh, I want to talk about prayer. And um, really much of what I, I think I'm going to say, what I suspect will be a reminder for us. Um, but for me, these are things that I feel like I need to be reminding myself of all the time. Um, and it starts with understanding the basis of what prayer is. When, when we are praying, what are we doing? Um, I am, no one has ever accused me of being too relational. Um, my strengths probably lie towards the task-orientated end of the spectrum and, uh, and so I've, I've been on a bit of a journey with that. My wife is training me very slowly. And uh, she'll say things to me like, when you ask how somebody is, you actually need to stop and listen to what they say. And so because I am a task-orientated person, I'll get my notepad out and write down, listen to what they say. Uh, so I can tick that off. People have told me, because I am involved in leading a church, I need to do something called relationships and pastoring. So I, I put that on my to-do list. Make sure you pastor somebody today. And there are these poor victims that I approach sometimes after a service at church in an attempt to be pastoral. Um, so nobody has ever accused me of being uh, too relational. I usually turn it into a job. And, uh, and yet with prayer... What I wonder is, you know, some of you are in, in no way wired like that. And, and um, you know, that sounds very alien to you. But I actually think for many of us, however we are wired, we can end up turning prayer into something we put on our to-do list. This is a, a, a task that I need to accomplish, a, a chore that I have to do. And it, it's not to say that prayer doesn't involve discipline, because it does. But really the heart of it, uh, is coming to understand that what we're doing when we come to him is we are, in essence, my favourite way I heard someone talk about prayer is that we are keeping company with God. It's coming to, to be in his company. And uh, if, you, you know, if you have a friend, you talk on many levels. So you will, you will sometimes, I imagine, uh, just sit and just not talk about anything. Just, just watch a, a film or kind of watch a sports match or whatever and just, just sit in stillness and, and not say hardly much in the evening. Um, there'll be times where we get together and we just talk about what's going on in the world. We chat about the football. We chat about what's going on at work. And then there are other times where we, we share very deeply about what's going on in our hearts. We, we have a real heart-to-heart. -heart. Prayer can be all of those things. So when we understand this relationship, what that means is we can come to him. And this is a journey I am on, uh, discovering we can come to him and we can just sit. We, we can come to him and we can talk about what's happening in the day we can chat about what's happening, you know, like at work or at the football or anything. We can have a conversation about anything with him. And then there are, there are other moments where we come to him and we pour out our hearts. And all of that is prayer. It's, it's relationship. And um, if, we, if we have that as a, as a starting point, there are a few reminders that, um, that I just want to share this evening when it comes to this. And so here's reminder number one, um, the thing I remind myself of regularly. God hears our prayers. And uh, in any relationship, you want to know that the person you're talking to is listening to you, right? 
And um, for us, what we have is this assurance in, in many places in the Bible that when we come to God, he hears us when we talk to him. Um, Jesus had total confidence in, in this. So um, there's one moment where he goes to the tomb of his friend Lazarus. He's about to raise him from the dead. And he actually says, just before he, he, he does that, he says, Father, I know that you always hear me. Can you imagine having that level of confidence? What a difference that would make in all sorts of moments. So for him, when he's about to try and feed 5,000 people with a little boy's picnic, to know just before he prays, the father always hears him. Or when he's out in a storm on Lake Galilee and they can't even hear themselves shouting through the wind and the noise and the waves, to know in that moment that the father hears him. Or even in his darkest hour when he's in Gethsemane and he's, he's wrestling in that place in prayer and he says, not my will but yours be done. To know in that moment with total confidence, the Father, I know you always hear me. And this assurance is what he wants for, for all of us, that we might know whenever we pray, he's listening. And there's lots of places we could go to in the Bible that, um, that show us this, but one of my favourites is right at the back, the book of Revelation. And um, I don't know if you've ever read the book of Revelation, but it's, um, it's a vision that John the disciple has towards the end of his life of what's happening in heaven. And um, a, a couple of months ago, I went to Wembley Stadium to see Ed Sheeran uh, in concert. And uh, he, was, he was phenomenal. If you want to, afterwards, I will show you all the photos. I've got a selfie with me and Ed Sheeran. It's just that he's like 80,000 people away from I am, where I am. But uh, it's, it was phenomenal, right? And it's this incredible sound and light show. And what everybody's doing, of course, is everybody's got their phone out and they're all doing this. And we're all also trying to ring people that we know, but there's hardly any signal because everybody's trying to get on the network at the same time. And I remember taking loads of videos, but I couldn't, I couldn't call anyone. But then there was this, this lady in front of me, this, uh, maybe she's in about 20s or something, and she was FaceTiming what I assumed was her mum because I could see it on the phone screen. And her mum was in the kitchen back wherever. And, and, and uh, the, the lady was sort of showing the phone around like this. And the mum, you could see, was just dancing along so I, the Ed Sheeran song. And that's kind of how I picture the book of Revelation. It's as if John has gone on a vision to heaven and he's there with his phone and he gets it out and he FaceTimes the rest of us and he shows us, hey, this is what's happening here. And we can see it and we can hear it. And heaven, it turns out, is a noisy place. There is all sorts of stuff going on. So we're told that there are four living creatures that circle the throne uh, where Jesus is and they're, they're constantly saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. And then we're told about these 24 elders, these old guys that like they, they, they have thrones themselves and they, they have crowns on and they throw their crowns on the ground and they throw themselves before him and they start talking about how worthy he is. And then on top of that, we're told that there are 10,000 times 10,000 angels out there singing. That's 100 million angels. I worked it out on a calculator. And so that's a lot of angels and they're all singing. And then we're told on top of that, that there, there is thunder and that there is lightning and that the whole of creation even, I mean, it just gets getting bigger and bigger and bigger. The whole of creation is singing praise to God. So in other words, John FaceTimes us and we find out that heaven is a noisy place. But then there's a moment where everything falls silent. And this is in Revelation chapter 8. And John says this, verse 1. When he opened the seventh seal, 
there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God and seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne. The smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of God's people, went up before God from the angel's hand. And what it says there is that there's all this noise, the living creatures and, and the old guys and the, the, the angels and the whole of creation singing and shouting, the thunder, there's all of this noise of worship and praise and adoration. And then this angel uh, goes in and then there's suddenly this, what we're told of half an hour of silence. And this angel gets a bucket um, basically a metal bucket, scoops up some coals and, and incense goes up. And what we're told in the picture is that the incense goes up with the prayers of God's people in the stillness and in the quiet. So what are we to make of that silence? Um, when I first got married, my wife and I, we lived in this terrace house. We had a house either side of us with thin walls, and uh, in our early years of marriage, the people who lived on both sides of us both had kids. And so we would find ourselves sometimes at like two, three in the morning being woken up by somebody else's baby screaming and we could hear it through the wall. And to be honest with you, it was mildly irritating, but it didn't really bother me very much because I was like, well, it's not my baby. So I would just roll over and go back to sleep. Oh, I miss those days. But uh, anyway, what happened is after about four years of this, we actually had our first son. We had Josiah. And when we had Josiah, evenings in our house suddenly looked very different. We, we bought one of those things that all parents buy, which is like a baby monitor. And, uh, and so we would be sitting downstairs in, in, the, in the front room watching TV. And then, um, you know, it'd be just there on. And then we'd suddenly be like, whoa, 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 pause it. Did you hear something? And we'd just both sit there being like, what's that? What's that our boy? Did he make a noise? We'd be with like people having dinner. We'd all be chatting away downstairs. And then, and then I would say, hold on a second, guys. I think I might have just heard something. Everybody, shh. I think I just, was that? We'd be, um, you know, sometimes in the morning we'd wake up and he would wake us up and he, we, we would hear him chatting on the monitor. And sometimes he wasn't distressed, you know. So we'd just sit in bed with the little monitor between us, listening to our son just talking to himself just in the room next door. Sometimes if he was screaming, I would go and I would take him and hold him against the neighbor's walls just to get some revenge. But we would, we would do that. And, it was, it was, and that's that stillness. That's how I picture what's happening in, in heaven right now. So it's as if for, for a moment, the Father, you know, the Lord just says, hey, hey, you know, living creatures, just stop it for a second. Old guys, sit down, put your crowns back on. Angels, stop flapping around. Everybody, shh. Was that my son? Was that my little girl talking to me? Shh. So one of the things to just remind ourselves is that he hears me when I pray. Isn't that incredible? So it's not that like I should pray, I must pray. I will beat myself up to pray. It's just, hang on a second. When I pray, he actually listens to me. Here's a second thing to remind ourselves of when it comes to prayer. 
um, it's this, God responds to prayer. And so the next thing that happens in this picture is, uh, it says this in verse 5, Then the angel took the censer, this metal bucket, filled it with fire from the altar and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning and an earthquake. And so our prayer, it's like it stops the whole of heaven, puts heaven on pause for half an hour. The prayer floats up before God. And then this, this angel gets a bucket of fire and throws it back down on the earth. And what, what that is a picture of is that somehow our little prayers, when he hears them, they cause heaven to invade earth. They cause the earth to shake. And I remember hearing someone once say that prayer, what it does is it silences heaven and it shakes the earth. And for me, nothing encourages me more in my prayer life than hearing stories of people who have had answers to prayer, who have seen God move and, you know, they've called out to him. And, um, and as with all of you, I feel totally inadequate in this. But I've got a few stories that for me are a massive encouragement. One of them is one where it feels like you live in the mystery of prayer, where you see things happen and, you, and yet you cry out for things and they don't happen. So one of my boys, my, my third son, Caleb, has a, a serious health condition. And it meant that when he was a month old, he had to have a major heart operation at the Royal Brompton. And we prayed and we prayed for, for his healing and it didn't happen. Um, but also in the midst of that process, even as we recognised the fact that God wasn't going to heal him in the way that we'd been crying out for, we also began to play very specific prayers. I remember somebody once said to me, general prayers get general answers and specific prayers get specific answers. So we got real specific with God. And there was one thing where because of his heart operation, he needed to have a particular thing inserted into his heart that was that were incredibly rare, very hard to come by. And we prayed and we got a whole bunch of our friends and families to be praying as well for this, for this thing to, to be available. And it just so happened that only one in the country became available and it was given to him. Um, and there were a whole load of other things like that, that we just thought, Do you know what, you're, you're listening to as God. We were told that he would have to have his second major heart operation when he was 18 months old and he's just turned four and he still hasn't needed it. So we're praying for the complete healing. But in the meantime, what we've seen as we've, as we've prayed for these specific things is we've seen God move. We've seen him answer our prayers. I don't know if you've come across the uh, evangelist, the famous evangelist from the 1800s, D.L. Moody. But I remember hearing about him and prayer. And, and one, of the, one of the stories about Moody is that when he became a Christian, he decided that he was going to make a list of 100 people that he was going to pray for to come to faith whether it was members of his family or it was his next door neighbor, or it was the guy that you know, he bought his groceries from. But he made a list of 100 people and he committed himself to praying for all of those people to come to faith. Well, by the time he died, 96 of them had become Christians. And the other four, I love this bit, became Christians at his funeral. Isn't that amazing? And um, another, a friend of mine, a lady called Ellie Mumford, who is just a wonderful person. She oversees the global vineyards movement of churches now. But I remember her sharing a bit of her testimony about how she came to faith. And she turned up at university, not a Christian, and she ended up sharing a room uh, for three years with this girl who was a believer. And Ellie wasn't really interested and went off doing all sorts of things. But then after three years, ended up going along to this event and hearing the gospel in, in a language she understood and giving her life to Jesus. She found out afterwards that this girl that she'd been living with for three years, the moment she met Ellie, she prayed for her 
every single day that she would give her life to the Lord. And Ellie, as she shared her story, she just said, if you never do anything else in your life as a Christian, pray that one person comes to faith. And I love that because I thought, gosh, a hundred, that does sound like quite a lot, but we could all pray for one. We, we, we could all pray for, for a few people, couldn't we? Um, another of the people that I love to read their stories is a guy called George Muller who was also around in the 1800s. And Muller was famous for starting these orphanages. And to run, run them, he needed money, but he refused to ask anybody for money. Instead, what he would do is he would pray. And he would just pray for God to provide. And there was all sorts of ways that the Lord moved in answer to his prayers and all sorts of amazing stories of that. But absolutely my favourite one is that there was one morning when they had no food for breakfast. They, were gonna, they would normally give their orphans a breakfast of milk and bread and they had none of it and they had no money. And so uh, George said to the orphans, this is the situation. Um, and he said, why don't we pray? We're going to pray and we're going to ask God to provide us with breakfast. And can you imagine, they're all sitting there at the, the big table in the orphanage and so they bow their heads and they pray. And amazingly, a few minutes after they prayed this prayer that God will provide them breakfast, there's a knock, knock, knock on the door and it's the baker. And the baker says, Mr. Muller, Mr. Muller, um, the strangest thing happened to me. I woke up about three o'clock this morning, and I just had going through my head, bake some bread and take it down to Mr. Muller's orphans. Bake some bread and take it down to Mr. Muller's orphans. So I've just baked all this bread and I brought it for you. Would you like it? And uh, his, they were like, yes, we would. So in comes the bread. And then they're sitting there rejoicing and eating this bread. And then not long after that, there's another knock on the door and it's the milkman. And he says, Mr. Muller, um, my, my milk cart has just broken down outside of your orphanage. So I've got all of this milk and I can't deliver it. Would you like it? And they said, yes, we would. Now, I have heard that that was the best breakfast those orphans ever had. And what happened, I think, is that up in heaven, as they started to pray, the Lord said to everybody, hey, shh, sit down, stop flapping, put your crowns on. Shh, can you hear them? They're praying. Okay, angel, get the bucket of fire aim it at the milkman's cart. We're going to get him. We're going to answer prayer. Because what happens when we pray is that heaven hears and heaven responds. And here's the third reminder. If the first one is that the Lord hears us when we pray about whatever we're praying about. And the second is that he responds when we call out to him. Here's the last one. And this, this one is one that I say to myself whenever I feel like God listens to other people's prayers, but not mine. Do you ever have that? He listens to other people, but he doesn't listen to me. And uh, here's the reminder. It's that we pray in Jesus's name. When we come to pray, we pray in Jesus's name. And, uh, and that begins to make sense of so much. So the truth is there, there is a mystery to prayer. And we'll all of us, I imagine, have, have questions that come to mind. Yeah, but he didn't answer that one. We say, God, you know, prayer silences heaven, it shakes the earth, but it didn't shake this situation. And I, I can't explain why sometimes God doesn't give us the answer that we want. Sometimes the answer is no. And it's so hard to understand that. Other times the answer is not yet. Um, sometimes the answer is, let's sit down and have a conversation about this. 
Um, and, and sometimes when you look back in hindsight, you're grateful that the answer is no. Like my son Josiah, when he comes to me and asks me for 15 chocolate bars, the answer he's going to get is no. If he goes to my friend Mike Pilavacci and asks him for 15 chocolate bars, the answer he's going to get is only 15. Um, but it's like, but when we come to him, he, he's, his good is, he always wants our good. And the real tragedy is not somebody once said, um, unanswered prayer, it's unoffered prayer. It's that when we come to a place as his, as his people where we, we stop offering our prayers because we, we don't see him as he really is, which is a God who moves in response to prayer. So there are those situations and we have to acknowledge that and yet choose to press in. But here's the other side of it. It's a slightly different thing. That so many of us, when we pray, um, we just lack confidence. We just, we just feel inadequate. And our, and our confidence certainly this is how it can work for me, goes up and down depending on our performance that week. You know what, if I've been a pretty good Christian, I'll come to him and be like, you owe me a few favours, Lord. You know, I've been really well behaved this week. And if I've made a mess, suddenly my my confidence is in my boots. Well, there's no way he's going to answer my prayer because, you know what, I've just done this and this and this. We go up and down, up and down, up and down. And, And what Jesus longs for us to have is a relationship of prayer that's just, we just, totally are assured when we come to him he's listening and he wants to move and so he says and he says this kind of thing in in numerous places which is you know it's you always pay attention to what Jesus says but when he repeats himself you've got to pay double attention and uh, he says in one of his conversations with the disciples this is in John 16 verse 23 very truly I tell you my father will give you whatever you ask in my name Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Now again, how do we picture this? So um, Mike Pilavacci, we lead our church together in Watford. He travels all over the world and he he doesn't fly um, first class. He flies economy. But uh, because he flies so much, because he's traveling basically six months of the year, he has this mileage status with the airline, mileage plus account. That means that he's, like a, he's got like a gold card membership and that allows him access to the first class lounge is, um, you know, in the airports. And I remember the first time I ever went on a, on a trip with him and we go to Heathrow Airport and he's like, should we go to the first class lounge? And I said, yes, I think we should. And we went to the first class lounge and it's like you walk into this corridor and suddenly you go from like lino flooring to solid marble, right? This is how the other half live. And you walk down this kind of like marble corridor and then there's this, this desk at the end that's sort of like got gold leaf on it and somebody who's looking very snooty. And I in no way look like I belong in this like first class lounge. And I don't feel like I belong in this first class lounge. But anyway, we get there and, uh, and she's like, and where are you flying to? And she sees our economy tickets and she starts to raise an eyebrow. But then Mike slowly reveals his gold card, which does look look like it's made of pure gold and he puts it on the thing and he slides it towards her and she says Mr. Pelavachi, welcome back you know please come on in enjoy our hospitality and then she turns to look at me and I am just Andy Croft who's literally never flown anywhere before so I just say I'm with him and she says please go on in Mr. Croft enjoy our hospitality he's allowed a plus one now the name of Andy Croft in the first class lounges of Heathrow Airport will get you absolutely nowhere but the name Mike Pilavacci carries some serious 
punch. And so I come, and I can now, whenever I'm with him, walk, I can swagger, you know, like everything I walk on is marble. I can just walk down into that place, and I can just say, I'm with Mike Pitovacci, and they say, Mike Pitovacci, he's a great friend of ours, please come in. It's my confidence, where's my confidence? It's not in me, and it's not in my name, it's in his. And we never, ever need to doubt when we come into the throne room of the Father that we are welcome because we come in the name of Jesus, his Son, our Lord. And that is an invitation that is sealed and signed and delivered on the cross and the resurrection. There's no going back on that. So that's an invitation that on our best week, we could never earn. And on our worst week, we will never lose. We come with complete confidence. Prayer. What's it about? It's, it's relational. It's about keeping company with him. And just remember, as we do, everything we say, he hears. Shh. When we pray, he moves. He does things he wouldn't do. Otherwise, he moves in ways he wouldn't apart from our prayers. And lastly, when we pray, we have assurance, total confidence that he wants to meet with us, not because of our name, but because we come in the name of Jesus Christ.